the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Jesus began to tell the, parable, the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant up to the tenants that they should give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant. Him also they beat and treated shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent a, yet a third. This one they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son, and maybe they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. And they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard, vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, God forbid. But he looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him at that very hour, but they feared the people. They perceived that he had told this parable against them. The Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant us grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. You know, sometimes it's very interesting, the gospel lessons that come our way. Last week, we read a, a parable, a, a story from the mouth of Jesus that is at the heart of Christian invitation. The parable of the loving father, or more commonly known, the parable of the prodigal son, is a favorite among Christians because the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of God is told in a very emotional and compassionate way. And I suppose if we got to choose which lessons we get to read from, we would almost exclusively read the Bible lessons that highlight God's mercy and his forgiveness and his compassion. We probably wouldn't go into too much detail about sin or our need to repent, and we might be really shy about bringing up Jesus Christ as judge, and that one day we will meet this judge face to face and have to give an account for our words and deeds. Last week, we read a portion of Luke 15. It's a beautiful story that illustrates how God desires us to be with him, how he waits for us to return, and that he showers his love and his forgiveness on us when we do return. This week, we read a portion from Luke 20, just a couple chapters later, and it is considerably less pleasant. While this parable does speak about God's patience, it all also illustrates his, expect his expectations, his warning, and his judgment. And it may not sound too appealing at first, but when it comes down to it, I want as clear a picture of God as I can. I want the full image of the God and not my own image of a God. So it's our desire here at Christ the Redeemer 
to present God as he truly is, to explore and discuss all of the Bible narrative, and to be faithful to the full expression of the Christian faith. The gospel lesson we just read, the, the parable of the wicked tenants, it's, it's not as popular as the parable of the prodigal son, but an important lesson about faith can still be discussed. We are not to presume our place, but are called to persevere in the faith. This story, the, the parable of the wicked tenants, was probably one of the easiest of the original hearers to understand. But since this story was given to a Jewish audience 2,000 years ago, I'd say we're a little bit removed. So let's just make sure we know who's who. First off, the parable, the story is told just days before Jesus Christ dies. Jesus goes to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and he spends his days teaching and preaching in the temple courts. This story, he tells, is about a landowner who gives his vineyard to some tenants to keep it fruitful and to keep it producing. And at the harvest time, the owner sends three servants to receive some of the fruit, but all three are beaten and are thrown out. The owner then sends his son, and the tenants throw him out and kill him. Jesus says then, that the owner will give the vineyard to others. So very briefly, here are the characters. The landowner is God. He is the one who plants the vineyards. We say that God created everything. So it's not a big stretch of the imagination to call God a landowner, right? And then he gives the vineyard to the people he has appointed. The vineyard itself is actually his people, the, the Israelites, the Hebrews, the people of God. And this would have been clearly understood by the original hearers. Various Psalms and the prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea, they all portray the people of God as God's vineyard. So the tenants then are the religious authorities of Israel, the appointed leaders of the people. And the servants that the owner sends, the servants are the prophets, spokesmen for God, who are all mistreated and killed. The Son, then, is, is definitely Jesus Christ, who is the Son of the living God. So here we have the Son of God denouncing religious authority, stating that he himself will be killed, but God will give the vineyard to others. Thus, he is hinting at the apostles and the Christian church. The hearers had enough understanding that they had a negative reaction to the story. God forbid, they said, and especially the scribes and the chief priests, they then sought a way to arrest Jesus because they knew that he spoke that parable against them. Now, clearly then, this was intended for a Jewish audience, and the effects are already being played out. The vineyard, the people of God, is now the Christian church. So what Jesus was saying has already come true. But we also believe that the Bible is living and active, so a lesson to the original hearers can still be a lesson for us today. We are not to presume our place, but we're called to persevere in the faith. There's a strong danger of presumption. The danger was real 2,000 years ago in the time of Jesus Christ, and the danger is real today. In Luke chapter 3, John the baptizer is 
preaching about repentance. And when the crowds actually come out to him, he says, produce fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. No wonder prophets were always killed. They called people out in some serious ways. John the baptizer explicitly tells the sons of Israel, God's people, that they cannot presume to remain God's people just because of the family they were born into. All the Israelites, can remember, all the Israelites can trace their lineage back to Abraham, who is called the father of faith. But here, John the baptizer says, that's not enough. You can't presume your place, but you must act and persevere in your faith. And Jesus is no different in his condemnation of presumption. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, Jesus Christ says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. He goes on to say that many will come to me and say, Lord, we did all these things, even especially in your name. Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Not exactly comforting words from the mouth of Jesus Christ, is it? But it's certainly challenging and definitely significant. And someone who knew the significance of this, who knew the gravity of this, was the Apostle Paul. If we can remember who Paul was and who he is, he writes this to the church in Philippi. He says, If anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, basically, if anyone thinks that he has the presumption of salvation, I have more. Circumcised on the, on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, a, a Hebrew, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Here's where our New Testament lesson picks up today. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Paul says, I consider all things, all my previous presumptions as garbage, as refuse, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which for Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Well, brothers and sisters, if John the baptizer and Jesus Christ warn us against presumption and the Paul the apostle writes that, he, that even he can't presume his own position, then I don't think this is a topic we can take lightly. And unfortunately, just as a, as a sin of presumption was dangerous 2,000 years ago, it remains dangerous today. Presumption in, in the faith sense can be defined as a dependence on self rather than God, with the consequent, consequent neglect 
of the means of grace, the sacraments and prayer. Or to put it another way, it's claiming Christianity and not doing anything about it. It's saying, well, yes, of course I believe in Jesus Christ, but I don't really talk to him in prayer and gathering as his body and feasting on his body, that's not really important either. Presumption is receiving that free gift of salvation and then putting it in a locked room, unopened and unused. We are not meant to presume, but are called to persevere. Persevering means that we will have an active and ongoing relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It means we will continue to pray to God the Father. We will continue to pledge ourselves to the Son by corporate worship, and we will continue to have an active Christian ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. Perseverance means, as Paul the Apostle tells us, that we should continue running a race. We are running towards Jesus Christ, running towards eternity, and by definition, the finish line is not in this lifetime. So even in the midst of trials and hard times, Paul says, press on, persevere. Even in the midst of doubt or despair or, or dryness, persevere in the faith. Even with boring or long sermons, continue practicing the faith. We are called to persevere, and that means that corporate worship is not optional. Personal prayer is not optional. Study and service to one another, not optional. So this is how we keep that active and that ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And once you know there is such a great opportunity right ahead of us. Starting next week, Christians from all over the world will begin Holy Week. Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. These are the holiest days of the year. So let us not presume to have Easter without the proper preparation. Let us not presume our place in the kingdom of heaven, but persevere in the faith that has been delivered down to us. So that in that last day, when we come face to face with Christ, who is our Savior and our Judge, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's to him that we give the glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen.